We, uh, we're studying in the book of Acts. No, we're not. We're in Romans, aren't we? We're studying the book of Romans, uh, chapter 2. Uh, this morning, I've got, we're supposed to begin with verse 13. Uh, uh, this, uh, the language that Paul, of course, you know, Paul was a biblical scholar, and, uh, his language can be very difficult to understand. Uh, and it, you got to kind of ease through it in some places, especially uh, because it's hard, at least for me to understand. It might not be for you. Uh, we're dealing with the subject of impartiality. We've discussed part of it, but we'll read over it because it does go together. Now, there is no partiality uh, with God. 1 Peter 1 and 17, the apostle said, if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. Uh, he judges each one's work. I've known people all my life who talk about how great their mom or daddy was, and I wouldn't take anything away from their mom or daddy, but uh, the question is, what about them? You know. What, what kind of, how was their faith? You know, it's good to have a mom and daddy that's got great faith, but what does that do for the child? You know, it, you know of course, they're exposed to a great teacher, but uh, if they don't uh, develop the same qualities, uh, there's not going to be partiality shown just because you're the child of this great and godly couple. Uh, that doesn't mean you're going to be saved by God. It doesn't rub off on you that way. Uh, each one, each person, uh, I will be judged as one person, my BR is another, uh, Chris and Amanda as others. Uh, we got nothing to do with one another as far as judgment's concerned. Uh, we try to help each other now while we can, but in the judgment, we stand by ourselves, and uh, we'll, we'll either stand or fall uh, based on our own works, according to uh, Peter here in uh, chapter 1, verse 17. Uh, in uh, Acts 10.35, Peter said, In every nation, whoever fears God and works righteousness is accepted by him. Uh, fearing God, um, in our context, he's talking about uh, fearing uh, the wrath of God, fearing the anger of God, fearing that you might make God disappointed, Okay. Uh, and working righteousness, of course, is doing that which is right, which the Lord has outlined as right works. Uh, these are the people who he will accept in the last day. For as many have sinned without law, Paul continues, or they'll also perish without law, and as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just, justified, uh, in the sight of God, but the doers of the law. These are the ones that God justifies. Uh, just or justified means to be made right, pardoned, forgiven, to be saved, uh, ultimately. Okay. Uh, for as many as sinned without law, we talked about this a lot last week, and that, of course, is the Gentile. Uh, and those that sinned in the law were, of course, uh, the Jews. They had the law of Moses, and the Gentile did not. One was in the law sinning, the other one was out of the law sinning. Uh, but either way, uh, both uh, sinned 
and both shall be judged according to the law that they lived under. Uh, in James 2, 15 through 17, James is talking about uh, the importance of uh, actions. Now, this is something that a lot of folks don't think uh, a lot about. We believe Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and we've been baptized and all is well in the world. But uh, as far as uh, our being involved in the work of the kingdom or the work of the Lord's vineyard, we may not uh, participate in those activities. Uh, and this is what James is, is going to uh, make reference to. It's good to be a Christian, but it's not enough. In addition to being a Christian, one must work righteousness. And James, probably better than anyone, especially between verses 14 and 26, uh, James uh, clarifies that like nowhere else in the scriptures that I'm aware of. That's one of the reasons why his epistle has been rejected by so many people through the years. When Martin Luther translated his Bible, uh, he left the little letter of James out of it. He said it didn't deserve a place in the Canaan of Scripture. Uh, but before he died, uh, to his credit, he did put it in there like it should have been in all along. But the reason he didn't want to put it in there was because of these verses, 14 through 26. It, it just absolutely devastates the teaching of salvation by faith only. And, of course, Martin Luther was a great advocate of faith only, and uh, he, found this, uh, he found this scripture to be uh, uh, very distasteful to him. James said, if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, it's easy to understand. Uh, people in Ukraine right now who are having to flee into other countries uh, a lot of them uh, have no clothes except what's on their back, and they have no food except what somebody gives them. They're running for their lives, uh, literally. Uh, okay, we know they do. We know people are in this condition. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, well, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them things which are needful for the body, what does it profit? What good have you done? And that's, that's so easy to understand. If somebody came to my house and, and they needed uh, food or uh, uh, clothing and uh, I had the uh, ability to give them food or clothing uh, and I said, well, you just go on. Uh, the Lord will bless his own and everything will be well one day. Uh, James is saying, okay, you, you believe that they stand in need of help. You have the means by which you can help but you, you don't give them anything. You just tell them, you know, Godspeed or whatever. Uh, what's the profit? What value is, is such belief? Well, it's of no value at all, obviously. That's also uh, faith by itself. <clears throat> if it does not have works, it too is dead in being alone. Uh, it's, it's so easy to me to understand this uh, James is so simple, uh, so easy to understand this, and yet uh, a lot of people claim they don't understand it. You, we have to be believers, yes, but, you know, if I'm truly a believer, won't I be a doer? How can you believe without doing I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe he will pass judgment in the last day. I believe he will judge us by his word, and he's told me to do certain things. Now, if I don't do them, 
how could I believe he'll save me in the end? He told me he wouldn't, or he implied it at least, that he would not. How could I think that he would? Well, obviously I don't believe him. If I think I can disobey him and yet be saved, that's what you call unbelief, not belief. Sometimes faith isn't what we think it is. We, we may think we have faith. We may have faith, too. It just may not be very much, not enough to carry us through to the end. We'll be talking about that in the sermon here directly. But uh, faith, uh, if it's what it should be, it will motivate us uh, to move forward and do what the Lord wants us to do. It's so important, that point, I fear, because so many have no regard for it, not any regard at all. Then he, he raises the question, he's comparing a Gentile and Jew. You know, you Jews, you say you're better than everybody else, okay. You know, you've had so many advantages, it's unbelievable. Okay, you Jews have really had advantages. And what, what good has it done you, is Paul's point. And then he says, for the Gentiles, when Gentiles who do not have a law of Moses like you do, when they, by their nature, do the things contained in the law. He's talking, obviously, about the moral code of the law. He's not talking about the ceremonial part of the law. Uh, they don't know anything about uh, you know, circumcision on day eight. They don't know anything about uh, uh, having the temple and uh, the holy place, the most holy place, all that. But there's no way they could possibly know that other than the fact that the Jews had it, which would mean nothing to a Gentile. But there are certain aspects of the moral law. Now, these are laws that they do understand, that they do possess, okay? And that's Paul's point. When a Gentile, who doesn't have a law of Moses like you do, complies with the aspects of the moral law, and you don't, okay? His point's going to be in the end. Who's the better off? You or the, or the Gentile? He's trying to show the Jews that they don't have a leg up on everybody else, that they are sinners and they have to repent of their sins if they too want to be saved, even though they're the children of Abraham. When Gentiles who do not have a law by nature do the things in the law, these Gentiles, although not having the law of Moses, are a law to themselves. They have a law that they live by. Remember, we talked about it, a patriarchal law. They lived under a, a code, if you will. They were judged by a code that was handed down from father to son, father to son, father to son. And they did have a, a law that they lived by. And God knew who knew the inner, uh, the inner uh, meaning of the moral code. Uh, these show the work of the law producing uh, morality, which is written in their hearts. Their conscience also bearing witness because the conscience, you know, when you violate your, what you believe to be right, the conscience is an alarm that goes off and we feel guilty because <clears throat> I know I should do this, but I've chosen not to do this and I, I do the opposite. And then there's, there's this little angel in my head or something that says, hey, you know you ain't supposed to do that. Okay, that's the conscience. Whenever we violate what we believe to be law, and it could be a lie too, 
the lie has all the force of the truth if it's believed to be true. Uh, if you believe uh, you're supposed to do this, you choose not to do it, the conscience is going to go off on you. And this is what Paul means. Uh, they show the work of the law written in their hearts, and their conscience bears witness to that fact because they feel guilty when they do wrong, okay? They experience guilt. If they stole their neighbor's wife, they would feel guilt. They know they're not supposed to do that. That's wrong. Or if they robbed somebody, they know that's wrong. And their conscience, that bell goes off testifying to you that you've done wrong. So they have the law. It's a law that's written in their heart. They were trained by this law. They were taught to believe it and do. And their conscience, because they do live by that law, their conscience uh, bears witness to the fact that they do have a law that they live by. And whenever they violate what they believe to be law, <clears throat> whenever they violate that, uh, they become transgressors. So the Gentile knows that, okay? The Jew thinks the Gentile is just absolutely useless. And Paul said, no, not so. Look how some of them are, not all of them, of course, but look how some of them are. And between themselves, uh, their thoughts, accusing or else excusing them, be guilty of breaking the law or not. Uh, well, well, wait. Uh, they have uh, the thoughts that accuses them, which is the uh, reaction of the conscience. Uh, the, the Gentiles, uh, some of them, were a moral people. They weren't uh, Israelites. They didn't live by the law of Moses, but they were moral people. Uh, God is a moral person. Where did that moral law come from? Uh, one of the proofs, evidences, testing to the fact that there is God is morality. Where did morality come from? It can't be the product of men because that means that everybody has their own moral code. You do what you think is right, I'll do what I think is right. If I think hitting you in the head and stealing your car is right, I can do that with impunity. We don't want to live by such a rule. If, if morality is the product of man, we're in so much trouble, it'd be hard to believe. When, uh, when they tried uh, German officers for war crimes after World War II, uh, they, they, they didn't know how to try them. Do we try them according to uh, American law? Well, no, we weren't on American soil. We're not American citizens. Do we try them by German law? Well, no, we can't do that because what they did was right. Hitler handed it down. It was the law for them to do such atrocities. Well, how, how are we going to try them? Well, let's appeal to the law of God. So the governments of the world found it necessary to um, play along, if you will, with the existence of God and by his moral code, the German uh, transgressors were were judged. Some of them were, at least. Some of them were not, of course. Um, the, the law, everybody lives by law. It's not necessarily a good law. Look, the law means rule of conduct. That's all it means. Uh, when, you're, when your mama and daddy, uh, they teach you what's right and wrong, they've given you a law. They gave you a rule of conduct. This is how you ought to live. And that's the definition of a law, rule of conduct. So you have a law from your parents. You can have a law from your place of employment. They have rules and regulations. 
uh, and this is a law that you live under. You transgress or you don't transgress one way or the other. Uh, there are a lot of different kinds of laws, uh, but there's only one law of God. There's one moral law of God. And some people, because of um, uh, their character, their personality, and because of the fact that they are aware of God's moral law, at least to a certain point, uh, they live in accordance to it. And Paul's point is, are you better than them? You break the moral law. Are you better than them? They keep the moral law. How could you be better than such? And when it comes down to a difference between ceremonial law and moral law, moral law is going to trump ceremonial law every time. But uh, the Jews didn't understand that. Then finally, number six is motive, and that's verse 16. Uh, this will <clears throat> all be settled in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ uh, according to my gospel, uh, according to the gospel in its entirety, actually, our Lord said in uh, John chapter 12, verse 48, we will be judged by his word. It will decide whether we're uh, just or not just. It'll be by what the word of God says. But now verses 13 through 15 were parenthetical. Uh, Paul was riding along and something struck him and he wanted to put a little adder in it and he, he put it in parentheses. Okay, now what you can do, and what you ought to do actually when you study, is when you come to parenthetical statements, sometimes take the parenthetical statement out and read what his uh, train of thought was originally. And in this case, it would be this. For as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law. As many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. He had a thought that he inserted, and we're glad he did because it's very uh, clarifying, but uh, this was his train of thought uh, until he got to verse 13. Uh, let's go though. The Lord judges motives. This, uh, this is very important. Uh, do you know you can do the right thing and still be wrong? That sounds strange, really, but it's true. You can do the right thing and still be wrong. Why? You may not be motivated for the right reason. I think I made a reference the other day about a man who got baptized, come out and sat down on the bench and turned to his wife and said, are you satisfied now? He did the right thing, but he did it for the wrong reason. His wife is chomping on his heels, and to get her off his back, he went ahead and was baptized. Why was he baptized? Because he believed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God? Was it because he wanted remission of sins to be a member of his church? Not at all. He did it because he wanted his wife to leave him alone. She kept harping on him. He couldn't take it anymore. So he did the right thing, but he did it for the wrong reason, and therefore it was invalid. His baptism was. Uh, this is uh, something we want to think about because it's very important. Uh, sometimes we do things not because we want to, but because somebody's watching. And I don't want them to see me do a wrong thing, take up a collection, 
for uh, Ukrainians, take up a collection for Ukrainians, and everybody's watching. Do I put money in? Maybe, maybe not. But the question, the real question is, do I put it in because I want to help somebody, or do I put it in because I want everybody to think I'm a good guy? You know, we estimate what a good guy is. Just because you don't give money to a certain thing doesn't mean you're not a good guy, okay? It's got, nothing's got one thing to do with the other. But uh, sometimes we do the right things, but we do it for the wrong reason. Now, the point I'm trying to make here is, or Paul's trying to make, is that God judges the motive. He goes behind the act, and he knows what the motive is. And that's uh, what's alarming. I know my motives, and God knows my motives. He knows them better than I do, really. And the real question is, what moves me to do the things I do? Because I feel like I have to, or because I want to? Uh, it's something to think about, about everything we do. Uh, when we pray, thank God, because we're going to eat a meal. Is it, is it just a habit, or am I actually talking to my father? Uh, I go to church services. Uh, why do I do that? Because I'm supposed to, because I have to, or, or because I want to? Why do I do what I do? It's very important. Uh, because works, what we do, aren't going to save us. So the reasons have got to be right, because that's what works toward our salvation, why we do what we do. In First Chronicles 28, verse 9, the Lord said, As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a loyal heart and with a willing mind. That's David speaking. Uh, about his uh, relationship with God. Uh, know God, serve him with a loyal heart and a willing mind. The emphasis, of course, is on motive. A loyal heart and a willing mind. Why? For the Lord searches all hearts, understands all the intent of the thoughts. He knows why we do what we do. So make sure your heart is loyal. And your mind is willing, not because I have to, because I want to, because this is what my father wants me to do. If you seek God, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, if you abandon him, he will cast you off forever. The Lord judges our motives. Jehovah said to Jeremiah the prophet, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. He always looks into the heart. Why do you do these things? Now that brings us to number three, uh, chapter two, verses uh, 17 through 29, which, uh, well, it passes the end of the chapter. Evidence of Jewish sinfulness. Uh, one of the problems the Jews had, one of the problems I guess all Christians have, is uh, we build up false securities for ourselves. And you'll understand as we go through. We depend on certain things to be our salvation. Uh, 
for us, I think maybe what you hear most is baptism and uh, an overemphasis on baptism. Uh, baptism is essential to salvation, no doubt about it. But uh, sometimes uh, people think because they've been baptized, they will be saved. That's a false security, okay? Relying on something that cannot save, thinking that it will. <clears throat> uh, Jewish reliance on false securities, Paul was going to discuss uh, in a minute. Everybody wants security. All of us do. <clears throat> Economic security, job, marital, national health, home, social position. We want to be secure. We want to be, we don't want to be in fear that what we have may be lost. Uh, that's why we buy insurance. That's why we do other things to shore up the things that we trust in. And there's nothing wrong with trusting in money to a certain degree. Uh, you've got to insure yourself. Your house burns down. You've got to have another house. Uh, it seems to me a wise thing to do is purchase insurance if it's possible. But uh, there's, there's nothing wrong in so doing. Uh, the instinct of self-preservation uh, needs security. We have this... Uh, uh, we have this inner need to uh, preserve our lives. And in cases, uh, we take the necessary steps in order to do that. Paul has already demonstrated that all people know something about God's invisible attributes and divine nature. Nobody in the court of God can claim ignorance of God. It's he won't, he won't have it. He said he's put too much evidence out here and nobody can claim ignorance of God because uh, it just can't be true. At least that, that'll be the last judgment. Some common securities that people trust in, things we're more familiar with, uh, is being good. A lot of people think because you're good, uh, you're convinced that God cannot condemn you. Should have said will not, I guess. Uh, I'm a good person. God won't condemn good people. You know, a lot of people are good, but they're not Christian. A lot of people are good, but they're not godly. Uh, I know I know a lot of people uh, who are good people, at least in my opinion. Uh, I've worked with some uh, who are at least infidels or agnostics or atheists. Very good people. They would never steal what belonged to you. Uh, they wouldn't cheat you or harm you in any way, I don't think. Uh, I think they were very good people, but they certainly weren't godly people, okay? Sometimes people think that because they're good, God can't condemn a good person. God wouldn't do that. It, that's just not right. God is a good person. God won't condemn a good person. And I think I'm good enough that the Lord wouldn't condemn me. Uh, sometimes good works and intentions outweigh our bad works and intentions. Uh, if you live loosely, let's say, as a Christian, uh, you're probably engaged in some things that the Lord doesn't want you to be engaged in. And the way of justifying that is, well, I do more good stuff than I do bad stuff. The good things outweigh the bad things, and because the good things outweigh the bad things, the Lord won't condemn me. He'll uh, have pity on me, and uh, I'll be all right in the day of judgment. 
some people think that way. Uh, divine love can't send anyone to uh, the hell described in the Bible. Uh, preachers teach that now. Uh, some of the preachers and churches of Christ teach this also, uh, that a good and just God uh, cannot sentence people to an eternal hell. It just can't happen. Uh, instead, uh, number one, they don't believe there will be um, an eternal judgment passed. If people are punished, it will be for a short time, like a purgatory, and then they'll get out of it. But the big thing nowadays is uh, annihilation. Uh, people who don't pass judgment will be annihilated. In other words, uh, you, you remember what it was like before you were conceived by your mom and daddy? <laughs> well, of course not. There was no you. You didn't exist. You don't know what happened before you were conceived. Uh, there wasn't a John at that time, not this John at least. And that's the way annihilation would be. There would be no you. Well, you stop and think about it. If you had a choice between hell and annihilation, I'd, I'd choose annihilation. I'd rather be gone as to have to suffer throughout eternity because you can't suffer if you're gone. So that would be the better choice, I think. And that's the big thing now. Uh, that's why some of our brethren teach this. I took a course on this uh, uh, 15, 20 years ago, I guess. Uh, and uh, this is what was taught in that class uh, down at uh, Lipscomb. Divine love can't send anyone to hell. Uh, some deny the evidence and just claim there is no God. I said a moment ago, that won't fly, uh, and it won't, but there'll be a lot of people, I suppose, in the judgment who's going to try it. Uh, security is emboldened by the large numbers of people who have the same mind as their own. How many times have you heard it? Well, everybody's doing it. That's what kids use, usually say to their mom and daddy. Well, everybody's doing it. Everybody wears their dresses that short mama. Everybody does this or does that. Everybody's doing it, and that makes it right. Uh, even as adults, sometimes we, we feel that way. This is the way most people do. And if this is the way most people do, it can't be wrong. Surely it ain't wrong. People have various built-in securities that they trust in uh, rather than judgment according to the Word of God. And I understand why people do that. I mean, it, it's certainly better than looking at the truth. But uh, in the last day, uh, the truth will win out, and uh, what will be will be. And I don't know, I guess maybe fooling yourself for 20, 30, 40, 50 years is, is better than uh, living under fear of what may come. Uh, exposing false securities is a good work. It's a good thing to do. Sometimes people, they don't think so. To expose a, a false doctrine in a man's teaching. You ever stop to think that people who subscribe to the teaching of salvation by faith only, who, who do not live in accordance with the rule of God because they believe that once you're saved, you're forever saved? Have you ever stopped to think how dangerous that is? How dangerous that is? You know, a person who's saved doesn't need to find salvation. They think they've already found it. They, they were never 
they, they never repented. They, they never were baptized for the remission of their sins, even though the Lord requires it. They never did it because they were taught, you're saved by salvation. You're saved by faith uh, alone or faith only, however you want to say it. And then, of course, there's the preservation of the saints. That once a person is saved, they will forever be saved. That's Calvinism. Very popular. Uh, have you ever stopped to think? How important the truth is to such people. You know, uh, I think that if a man had a cure for cancer and he didn't give it to the world, I think he would be an evil man. Why, why would a person have a, a cure for such a horrible, horrible disease and not share it with the world? or any disease as far as that goes. If a man had such a incredible knowledge and he didn't use it to help humanity, I think most of us would judge it harshly. Well, how much worse would I be if I refrained from teaching the truth simply because some people have already decided what the truth is and they, they don't want to hear the truth. They're not looking for truth. They're content where they are. How horrible would it be to have the truth of God and not share it with people? You know, you're not talking about death now. We're talking about eternal death. I, I was that man one time. I had an uncle that I loved very dearly. And I didn't want to make him angry because he didn't like to talk about religion. I didn't want to make him angry. So whenever I had an opening to say something in defense of God, uh, I didn't take it. I didn't take it. And then one day he died. And then I... I, I I, I couldn't take it anymore. I couldn't seize the moment. He was, uh, he was gone. And uh, I became conscious of the importance of what it means to be a Christian. <coughs> Carrying uh, such incredible knowledge and not taking advantage when it's possible to share that knowledge with other people. Uh, I began TBC just not long after that. I, I, and I never got over my uncle. I don't think he would have changed if I would have said anything, but I'll never know. Not now. I'll never know. I, I'm, I'm, I don't like to make people angry with me. But even more, I don't like to make God angry with me. And I don't want anybody's blood on my hands. I don't try to be ugly when I talk to people. I try to be honest. And uh, 
if given the opportunity, uh, I prefer to uh, shed the light a little bit. I got enough guilt for one lifetime. In Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist came preaching and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus came and began preaching, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Both of these men thought that <clears throat> demolishing false securities was a good thing. They were talking to the Jews, of course. Jews thought they were a saved people. If they were truly a saved people, why are they telling them to repent? See, both John and Jesus knew they weren't a saved people. They needed to make changes. And, of course, it made the Jews angry, even to the point that finally uh, both of these men were murdered um, for what they taught. Uh, but they thought that it was worth it. And they spoke when they had the chance to speak. In the Sermon on the Mount, uh, the Lord attacked false securities uh, several times. Uh, the security of good works deceived many people. The Lord declared that men's righteousness, now this is throughout the sermon, he declared that men's righteousness, attitudes, good works, relationships, professions, prayers, fasting, ceremonies, and generosity can never measure up to the divine standard of perfect holiness. <clears throat> he quoted it and said, Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. That's your goal. That's your objective. <clears throat> Lives built on false securities will be swept away. He taught that at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, building your, hand, your house on uh, rock or building your house on sand. If both of them look really good until the big storm comes. And then one of them's gone and one of them remains. That's the way he said it'll be in the day of the judgment. Some people will spend their whole life looking good as a Christian people, but they are not Christian. They are not godly in the heart. And in the day of uh, judgment, their house will be swept away, whereas the real deal, uh, their house will stand. In Matthew 7, 22 and 3, the Lord said, uh, many will say to me in the day of judgment, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I don't want the Lord to say that to me. To you, I feel horrible. I spent a big chunk of my life trying to walk with the Lord. Uh, <laughs> I like to think I got all in, uh, but one thing that I would really hate to do is to get partially in, get in just enough to mess up my life, and then the name in the day of judgment be rejected by the Lord. I always thought if I wasn't going to do what God wanted me to do, I'd go off the other direction. Uh, it's either this or that, but you can't have both. Uh, what do you want the most? And, of course, I came up with uh, the love of God. The Jews were the covenant people of God, and they thought they had security because of that. The preachers today still think they had security and still have security. There's a lot of people today that say we are obligated the church is obligated to take care of Israel because Israel is God's covenant people. A lot of people still believe that. They were a covenant people at one time, but they lost their relationship with God when they quit doing what God wanted them to do. And they ceased to be what their parents once were. They had a greater light 
the word of God. They had greater blessings. They had greater privileges than anybody on earth. The best that heaven had to give was given to the nation of Israel. But greater opportunities makes for greater accountability, not less, as they supposed. They thought that because they had been given so many great opportunities, they thought that this guaranteed them salvation. And what it actually guaranteed them was a greater judgment. It's kind of like the preacher. You have a, a more severe judgment than people that are not preachers. Why? Because you feign to be a man of God. And if you don't fulfill that position, you shall be judged accordingly. You bear more responsibility. I can understand that. It's like a, it's, it's like a, a judge or a politician. If they commit a crime and are sentenced to prison, their prison time should be longer than the average Joe because of the responsibility they had earlier assumed. It don't work that way, but it ought to. The greater opportunity, the greater responsibility. It's always been a rule people have lived by, but sometimes uh, not always. Okay, we'll stop right here, and uh, willing, God willing, next week uh, we'll take up with this thought.